Hello and welcome to a little bit of foreign and domestic unfiltered content for you, the beginning of your week here. I'm your host, Ramon Mile. Um, and today I wanted to, so it, just real quick, little, <laughs> little inside baseball here. I, I have something queued up for later in the week that I wasn't able to, I didn't have time to get to this weekend. Uh, it's a, it's going to be a great breakdown. We're going to go do a little CIA deep dive into, uh, some of the mind games that they've been playing across the last week. But, uh, I got something that popped out here that I thought was more important to discuss because it seems to be, it seems to be much more relevant and well prevalent rather in the discourse right now. And that topic is the lab perceived labor shortage. Um, so I have this. Uh, this little this little video titled off with a question: um, Are boosted unemployment benefits causing a labor shortage? Okay, I'm sure you guys have seen it. We've seen uh, all across social media. It's uh, on legacy media. You know, near CNN's, Fox's, um, a lot of restaurant owners, big box stores, all kinds of places. You know, complaining that hey, nobody wants to work. The uh, you know, you've seen a couple states. Uh, believe it was Montana and forget the other state um couple of red a uh, couple of red states actually uh rescinded their federal unemployment benefit uh the extra three hundred dollars uh in an effort to force people back to work um but yeah here I wanted to break this down a little bit because it's very interesting and I think that there's a huge uh there's some huge gaps and just again like the overall discourse of how this is being discussed how I see people that I know in everyday life talking about it you know people kind of going back and forth and having these conversations in a purely like just pure economic fashion without actually considering the human side of it which you know as we all know this was one of the most extreme experiences for the human condition in the world and you know i would argue decades um you know I've, I've said it before on other episodes of the podcast i don't think there was a more disruptive uh world shattering uh revelation causing uh event in at, for, definitely in the west uh since world war ii and you know it, it's just it kind of strikes me as funny where you know, now that half the country's vaccinated and, you know, we've kind of, a lot of people feel like we've turned that corner. It's starting to get nicer out. You know what I mean? Like everyone's kind of slipping back into, oh, well, shouldn't we just like continue on and think that, you know, oh, everything's back to normal now. Why, you know, why is the economy, uh, you know, via labor still dragging and reacting in this way? Not, you know, not returning back to what we thought it would be. So, um, here, let's start off. Uh, I want to start off with uh, so so economists had expected that the United States economy would add about a million jobs in April, and instead payrolls only expanded by about two hundred and sixty six thousand. Uh, and that's according to the government's new labor market report that just came out uh, last week. Uh, meanwhile, March is, March had nine hundred sixteen thousand jobs gained, and uh, in this report that they just released, they actually revised that down to seven hundred seventy thousand. So, right there off the bat, like when we get into this kind of data, um, you know, I, I don't claim to have some high level of expertise with this, but um, as far as you know, jobs reports and everything, I, I usually read them like every quarter because that's a better time to kind of look at it exactly, you know, what was just instanced right there. Like, for example, the March report was initially reported at 916,000. And now just in April, they revised the March numbers down to 770,000. And the reason for that is, folks, you have to understand when these uh, uh, macro uh, macro economists do this analysis, there's a there is some guesswork involved, you kind of have to they have to study some factors like uh, actual, you know, for example, like uh, um like home, the home building uh, industry, you know what I mean? Like they, there's no way that they're going to have all the up-to-date numbers at the end of April. So what they do is they infer some things like, okay, how much wood was purchased? You know what I mean? Like things that you can track with receipts and you can match that volume up to, you know, roughly historically what the volume of the raw materials in the industry used and how that can possibly correlate to you know, trying to get a, a little better of an idea of how many jobs were gained. And a big problem with that is, um, you know, before we even get into like my 
theorizing and everything about this, um, a big problem with when you do those types of projections, which again, like in macroeconomics, you, you have to, you're never going to have, it's, it's the best way for you to amalgamate somewhat relevant, uh, you know, somewhat correct data without actually having all the actual, you know, <laughs> every social security number of each person working tallied up at the end of the month. It's just impossible. Um, but a, a big issue with that is we have this speculative market that revolves around the hard economy, like, you know, the actual labor market and things like that. So it can cause, it can cause some issues and consternation and it, you know, it, it definitely gets the people in Washington concerned. It definitely gets the chamber of commerce concerned. Um, I'm not honestly that concerned about it and I will get into why later. Um, but I think that, so just for my first section here, I think that the biggest thing that jumped out to me doing a, a lot of reading on this real quick, um, while everyone's screaming about like, oh my God, no one's going back to work. This is a huge problem. We have to, you know, cut benefits, blah, blah, all that. You know, it, it's sort of interesting to me how I've seen very little articles uh, actually focusing around the the intangibles. And what, what I mean by that is, uh, you know, perfect example. My intangible number one on my list is the fact that um, women employment is act, was actually severely down in April, um, which isn't that shocking considering that a lot of schools still aren't open. Some, uh, I think, I believe the majority of U.S. schools are still in some hybrid system. A lot of child care centers were closed down for good last year. Uh, a bunch of them didn't come back. And a lot of them are actually, you know, operating and having, you know, budgetary issues because a ton of people just won't go back. And then, you know, that how are you going to afford your commercial rent or whatever? You know, there's all these business side issues around uh, child care, which is, you know, a razor thin margin industry in the first place. You know what I mean? A pretty decent argument to publicize it like a lot of other countries do, at least, you know, uh, pre-K and, you know, five and under or whatever. Um, but yeah, so th th this intangible around women in our economy that just doesn't really get talked about that much is, um, you know, again, a lot of these places that would normally free up women from being home, which, you know, w women overwhelmingly are caretakers in our country. So like we've certainly made strides. The numbers have moved, you know, eons beyond what it used to be, you know, 30 years ago. But for the most part, like, you know, don't let like all this girl boss stuff and everything gas you up. Like for the most part, women are holding it down at home still overwhelmingly, you know, uh, uh, um, in my generation, millennials, I believe women are more educated than men, millennial men. Um, there's definitely like, there's going to be shift coming forward in that regard, especially with, you know, birth rates down and all kinds of other data and statistics that will influence that. But for the most part, um, you know, the fact that women's labor force participation fell last month, it suggests that, you know, childcare was a huge factor, not really being discussed. Don't know why. Super weird. Probably because it raises questions that can't just be fixed by, you know, the, your local Arby's franchise owner pounding me, uh, you know, pounding his fist on the table like, uh, you know, fucking Spider-Man's boss and just like demanding people come work for his $11 an hour wage, you know, um, so yeah, so those women numbers, uh, just to get into it real quick, women employment actually fell in April. It was negative 8,000 uh, uh, women employed uh, down from where March was. March was uh, 595,000 more women gained employment in March. So just compare those numbers. It's kind of teetered back and forth here, folks. Um, you know, in February, 256,000 women did. And then in January, 34,000 left employment. So it's, it's all over the place. Like these aren't, these are huge swings. It's usually if there's a trend, it's much more consistent. This is all over the place. And again, it's not like it's something, again, it's super weird how we're all discussing this as if like, oh, the pandemic's over. Like it, it's not over. It's not over. People just went through a whole year of it's an insane level of conditioning to change the way that they think about the world around them, their country, their state, their town, their city. All of that isn't just going to revert back at the snap of a finger because you got a shot in your arm. And I'm not saying that, you know, the fact that, you know, some people had it already, coronavirus, they, so they don't, you know, they're not worried. They didn't die or some people got vaccinated and they might feel safer. That's all true, but there's a lot of unconscious workings of the mind that happened across this last year. 
um, you know, your socialization went into the toilet for a ton of people. A lot of people were completely stuck in their house, you know, office workers working from Zoom or, you know, retired people or whatever. Our entire social fabric got taken apart thread by thread and rewoven into some new patchwork thing that I don't think anyone really fully understands yet. And we're kind of all again, just trying to discuss it and glaze over it. Like it's almost like a thing that didn't happen, you know, now that <laughs> everything's somewhat returning back to normal. Um, but so, yeah, so, all right. So we'll leave, we'll leave that, that behind Again, I think that, uh, that intangible, uh, that, isn't really measurable by a jobs report or general economic numbers where you have, like I said, women making the choice to stay home and take care of their children. And, you know, a lot of things go into that too. And, uh, and again, some men are too as well, but a lot of things go into that too, folks. Like, again, we can't just like have some spreadsheet out where we're just assuming like, oh, well, she could have like took her job back at X, Y, or Z company that she had before she was laid off or whatever happened last year. Like, no, some people genuinely, there were a lot of, you know, for example, like I know my mom, my mom was a career woman. You know what I mean? Um, she worked a lot of hours all throughout my youth. She still does to this day. You know what I mean? Not every woman's the same. Some women do want to stay home with their kids. Some women find balance in going out and, you know, being, in that corporate environment and then coming home and the duality of it all. And then some women just, you know, don't, aren't like, Oh, I want to be home all the time. They want to go out in the world and, you know, have their kid go to childcare and do whatever. Like everybody lives, every family dynamic is different. People have different needs. Children have different needs, but I just, again, I get frustrated because we talk about these things all of these concepts in like black and white terms as if there's some just mathematical equation you have to punch in to like find the answer or the cure to it all. And I'm certainly not claiming to have one here either. I'm just trying to give a more nuanced analysis of the majority of the critics, the critiques we're reading right now about the perceived quote unquote labor shortage and the effect of unemployment. Um, so yeah, so leaving behind that topic, I want to get into next the the biggest the sort the biggest sector that we're being told right now is struggling is again you see all these small business owners that own restaurants um drinking establishments for example um that industry added 176,000 jobs in March which was the biggest gain in any sector 2 months ago um now they you know they had decent gains in April as well but I I wanted to focus on the restaurant industry real quick, because it's certainly, again, it's, it's like the main thing people refer to, uh, in, in all these articles, they're the loudest business owners crying about all of this. You know, you've seen signs up on, you know, restaurant or even, I think it was like a, like Hardee's, you know, like fast food places too. Like be like, Oh, we're closed because we have no workers. Like, <laughs> you know, apply inside. And I even saw one, like, what was it, like, Wendy's had a coupon that was like, oh, get a free meal or something with a job application, you know, just these silly things where it, you know, and that stuff really bothers me because it's like, while we're in the middle of having these political battles over, you know, a $15 minimum wage, and, you know, there's a lot of people who think even that's too low. I agree, that is too low. If uh, the minimum, if the wage kept up, Minimum wage kept up with productivity. Um, it would be at about $23 an hour right now. Okay. And that's not even considering like inflation or the cost of living or anything. I'm just saying like purely like if you tracked the minimum wage to productivity overall in relation to GDP in this country, if the workers were to actually get their due for the level of productivity that has risen consistently over the decades, it would be $23 an hour. And I think that's a f- super fair metric to consider and talk about because, you know, it's something that, especially for people on the left where I hear a lot of, you know, there's a ton of Democrats who, and this is going to be something we'll get into in another video, but there's a lot of Democrats folks that, you know, everyone on the left isn't a lefty. Okay. There's a, there's a lot of Democrats who think, no, those people don't deserve $15 an hour. You know, oh, they, they should just keep making what they make. Um, and, you know, that comes from a couple different places sometimes, you know, some people it's, they feel that threat where, you know, perfect example, there's like a, I saw a ton of uh, like, you know, EMTs or uh, people that do like medical work or, you know, like uh, 
nurses and stuff like that. Um, CNAs, for example, where I've seen some people in those groups like get upset that there are fast food workers demanding for $15 an hour. And it's like, well, it, so what you're saying is like there needs to be a tiered system and you think that that work that you do is more important than theirs, right? Um, you know, I, I push back against that the same way that I push back against like, you know, people trying to like dunk on teachers and act like, Oh, what do they really do? You know, or, you know, comparing them to like, Oh, cops, cops do so much. They do this and that. And it's like, no, these are all necessary things that need to be done. We need to remove this idea around a tiered wage system, according to like what we think is important or unimportant work. Because it doesn't even it doesn't even make any sense. Like if you okay, what are the basics to live, right? Like you need shelter, food, and water. Okay. So the people that are giving you food are literally doing a service that like you need for your survival. Okay. And you know, in that same respect, cops too. Like, hey, they're protecting your life, quote unquote, like supposed to be, but you know, sometimes they do do that. They save people's lives. Like, sure, that's that's valiant work. It should be paid well. You know, I think everyone should be paid well. I don't try to pick winners and losers based on like, oh, I don't like the people that are in this profession. No, it's not about that. And the same thing with teachers. Like, teachers get such a bad rap because, again, we view our labor markets and our economy like based around like, oh, what are you making? Like, what's the profit? And it's, there is no fucking profit in education. There shouldn't be. And, you know, there certainly isn't in K through 12. College is another different story but you know again that's 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 an intangible thing that has it has intangible value it doesn't translate to value to uh monetary value you're you're educating your workforce as a country that is a huge service being performed there and that's just like you know from an empire uh uh viewpoint you know what i mean just but from a community viewpoint you know what i mean like yeah uh teachers are our babysitters for for a lot of people you know what I mean? That it functionally in how our society works, you know what I mean? Uh, they're doing great work. They're helping mold our children into, you know, good human beings. Hopefully, you know, you have good teachers. Everyone's had one, right. That, you know, influenced you in some way, inspired you to do something or made you believe that, you know, uh, uh, helped you believe you could do something. But aside from that, just on a base level, like once you're in first grade, like that is daycare functionally for the American economy. We all saw it last year when schools shut down that was a big part of why a ton of, well a lot of people got laid off but a ton of people left their jobs because they had to go take care of their fucking kids there was nowhere for their kids to go you can't leave your six-year-old at home alone you know what i mean so again it's interesting how there's all these different needs that americans have built around the fact that we haven't created a system that optimally serves those needs, what we do instead is we, you know, perfect example, like cops showing up to like mental health calls. That's not ideal. It's, it's just not, you know what I mean? Like whether you agree with defunding the police or abolishing the police, whatever, like on its face, you can admit that if there's a nonviolent person having like a mental breakdown, like you shouldn't send a person with, with a gun who's used to interacting with violent people. It's probably just not a good idea. idea you know what I mean? Um, just like the same way I can admit, like, you know what I mean? My, my son has a hard time with things sometimes, uh, you know, uh, dealing with his emotions. You know, it's a six year old and I'm not, I'm way better. I'm way less better suited to dealing with him when he's in those crisis moments than my wife is. And she, you know, she's, she's just better at it than me. You know what I mean? And obviously, you know, I try whatever, but the whole point is like, you don't want, <laughs> You, you you don't want a, a, a cop showing up to stuff like that. It's just a bad idea. But I'm rambling here. Let me get back onto this. Um, so, yeah, so restaurant work um, was what I was trying to focus around here. Um, another thing that I think is really missing from this conversation is just the fact that, again, like now I want to roll into the, the, the human factor of what I was talking about with the labor market. Um, in restaurant jobs are the perfect example. I've worked restaurant jobs before. I worked in Applebee's. I worked at fast food places, bombers, you know, a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people have worked in it at some point in their life, usually if in their teens or whatever. Um, it's shitty work. You don't get paid that well. Um, you might get paid well for like when you're a teenager, but certainly not like as an adult. It's really not, the pay's not that great. Um, you know, the average server in America makes around $10 an hour or something like that. 
you know, cooks don't get paid that much. People who bust tables, you're, you're at the mercy of tips for the most part, if you're not cooking. Um, and it's, it's grueling work. You're on your feet all day. You're in a hot kitchen. Uh, people who, uh, interact with, with, uh, customers or, you know, we're, we have this capitalist system where everyone gets to, you know, whether petty bourgeois or poor themselves, they walk into an establishment and they get to be, they get to have a little personal servant for a little while. And, uh, the nature of our consumer society, that is the agreement that, that is formed where it's basically like, okay, you go work, earn your money. Uh, and then you get to go spend it and have people wait on you essentially, you know what I mean? But it's different. Like people wait on other people in other countries too. Obviously there's service everywhere, but there's something special about it in America. There's something, there's something unique where every service worker I've ever known or seen talk about doing service work. Like they're literally being treated like they're fucking indentured servants, like all day long, basically. And there, you know, that goes into a larger issue of just the American condition in general, but, but no, um, yeah, all these restaurant owners and large corporations complaining that they can't hire people. And it's like, okay, well, those jobs suck. We all agree on that. Like there, I, I, you'd be hard pressed to find a single person who's like, oh, restaurant work is great. It's so rewarding. You know, no, that's a fucking lie. Um, maybe like bartending or something, some people like that or serving, but, uh, maybe, but, um, no, for the most part, it's pretty simple, folks. Um, uh, if you're having a hard time hiring back people at the levels that you had before the pandemic and you're complaining and saying that, oh, well, the government gave everyone unemployment benefits uh, and now they're making more than they made while they were working for me, that sounds like you have a problem with your wages. If you're paying your people $11 an hour and they're working 40 hours a week, that was the fucking issue to begin with. So now all these people are basically just complaining that all this huge group of people, this huge chunk of workers that were so demoralized, so beaten down, so on the edge of an emergency, wiping out their bank account, like, I don't know, pop tire, a car problem burst pipe in their house all of these people who were on razor thin margins close to being immiserated got a little bit of help in the middle of a pandemic and now that that pandemic's waning not over waning i'm gonna cry about that and say oh well they're lazy bums because they don't want to come back and come do the grueling work that they never fucking liked in the first place and i'm not gonna raise my wages okay so well, what did you, what do you, why would, why would that, why would you expect any different outcome? And now it's to the point where rather than most of these people even considering raising a wage, certainly like the heads of the industry, uh, when we're talking about restaurants, like the National Restaurant Association, you know, these people have all lobbied against the $15 minimum wage, which I would argue is a pittance compared to, um, you know, the, the margins of some of these places when you're talking about like the big chains and these restaurants that are in that organization, um, yeah, like, okay, so what? So, like, what do you think the solution is here? You think that, that, like, the way their mind works is profit is all important over everything else. Any of these other human concepts that I talked about and more that we'll get into around, you know, your job being fulfilling, whether it actually pays you enough to survive, um, you know, what kind of hours you work, all this other stuff. They don't even want to get into any of that. It's just straight up. No, I, I'm going to lobby the gov government to to make these people poorer and force them to come back to me because that's the only leverage that they think they have. They don't think that they could, you know, I don't know, treat their workers better, whether through wages or just in general. I mean, restaurants are also another industry that's just horrible for like abusive behavior towards their employees as well. Um, you know, when you're talking about like day laboring or restaurant work, there's certain industries that like, again, People get away with a lot more shit than they normally would. You know, if you're in a corporate setting or whatever, and there's like HR there, no one's just going to like start, your boss isn't just going to start dunking on you and screaming at you. Well, some will, but it's much less likely to happen because it's a different, it's a different environment. Um, and, you know, again, these are all factors that on the human side of things that just aren't considered, you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I, I just, I really want to focus on this 
idea that I've been, I mean, it's not really like a completely original thought, but I don't really see many people speak about it. And that is, you know, again, that psychological effect of what that last year of quarantine, living through a pandemic, an extreme economic downturn, and then the government correctly doing what it should have done and making sure that people were taken care of. Um, and just what, what effect that has on, you know, a person who's a wage earner, a person who, and you know, like I'm 30 years old. I know what it's like, like the hustle, you know what I mean? You're in job transition or you're looking for a new job or whatever. Like, yeah, you're out there. You're looking, we have, we have the internet. We have a ton of information at our fingertips where we can look and see, you know, Ooh, do I want to stay in the same sector I've been in? Do I want to try something new? Uh, do I have a degree for this? Do I have training? Do I have certification? Whatever. And then ultimately, you know, what's the pay? What are the benefits? And you try to match that up. What are the hours with what your life is right now? If you have a family, how that's going to work in that dynamic. There's so many other factors at play here, right? So I, when I look at these numbers and I see like, you know, they're like, oh, it's a labor shortage, blah, 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 whatever. Like, Okay, yeah, it is. And you know what? I would argue that that's not that bad of a thing because people are taking their time to see what job they can get. They have the ability now for the first time, probably, and I would argue any in my generation's lifetime to actually, you know, other than people who have like well-off parents or some other family structure to support them while they took a long time to look for next work. But for the most part, people who live on their own rent, uh, you know, own a home, whatever, you weren't in the past, you never had, you never had any ability. If you didn't have some huge chunk of savings or someone to lean on, you weren't able to take your time and look for the optimal job for yourself. You had to take one. You had to take one because you had to feed yourself. You had to feed your kids. You had to pay the bills. So that is ultimately all we're talking about here is the fact that you have all these uber capitalists complaining and bitching. That normal people who very soon are going to go back to making, you know, I think right now with their quote unquote labor shortage, the wage market, the wages on an average have only gone up like 0.6% since the pandemic. So that's fucking nothing. So you're sitting here crying and complaining and bitching and moaning that people aren't coming back as fast as you like and your profits aren't great. They're going to be back soon. This shit's all going to end in September. The unemployment benefits, it, you know, unless states step up like Montana and the other state did and cancel it early, force people's hand, but the wages aren't being raised. So yeah, you have to wait a little bit. And especially for like the small businesses, like, I mean, I get it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I have this restaurant and now I don't have anybody to work in it. You know, it, hey, you know what? Free market economics, baby. You got to figure out and shift whatever you need to do. If you need to just have, instead of having five people on staff, only have three and pay them really well, and hopefully they'll work better and more for that money, fucking try that. Or you know what? Roll up your fucking sleeves and go back there and cook something yourself. My parents do it. My parents have owned a restaurant for three years now. They've never hired anyone. Downsize. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Because here's the thing. If we're getting to the point where we're just like reading and like, uh, uh, we're just looking at and like listening to the demands of the people that, you know, own restaurants or whatever, and don't take any consideration for the what the, the people who outnumber them, the people who actually do the jobs. And there's no consideration for what their needs are. This is how we keep ending up in these cyclical boom bust economic situations. Every 10 years, there's a crash. It's because of that mentality. It's because of the mentality that we're going to keep the people at the bottom who do the work that we do not value and will pay slave subsistence to, to wait on us, to deliver us things, to cook us things, to take care of our children, to do all of these things that for some weird reason America has decided is worthy of slave wage. And I'm going to keep saying that because people who are making 10 or $11 an hour in this country are not being paid enough to live. They're just not. They're just not. There is no excuse for giant franchises to reap the level of profit that they make, give dividends to shareholders, all this shit, and then pay people a slave wage to the point where they're still qualifying for benefits from the government. Which no one has any complaint about otherwise, right? Like, we've all seen it across the last decade or so. Walmart's consistently been number one, where I think, uh, I can't remember, I don't remember if the data's 
how how recent it is, but I think at one point they had like close to a million workers who were Walmart employees that also were on food stamps, full-time employees. So you, no one complained about that then. No one was bitching about that. You know, some people were, but those fucking business owners weren't. You know, why is that? Now it's wrong that the government's giving them money because they won't come work for me. Anyone see anything wrong with that? It sounds like they feel like they have ownership. They're owed something. They're owed these people that need to come in and turn the, the lever, pull the levers and turn the gears and flip the burgers and change the diapers. It sounds like they have some expectation that everyone needs to be subverted into doing this work. And again, I'm not saying it's work that doesn't need to be done. I think it's all valuable work. I think it's all valuable work, all the things that we've discussed uh, so far. But if we're not going to value those people with actual compensation, you know, anything outside of calling them our, our essential workers are heroes. You know, you remember that? Remember that for, uh, you know, the last fucking 14 months where we paid all this lip service to nurses and, um, you know, teacher, whoever, whoever else, uh, re retail store workers. Remember how, remember how hard everybody was sucking off target workers and all these people who were keeping our uh, shelves stocked. We did all this. We did all this chat. There was all this talk about, oh, we're going to do hazard pay. Barely any of that shit happened. Some people got some little bonuses, which, you know, they gave them like a thousand bucks or something. Average that shit off across the course of a year and all the hours that they put in risking their own lives before a vaccine was even fucking made. But but now, now that, but again, it's because the American mind, the the, the attention span, it's so short. It's so, it's so uh, uh, constrained where, oh, that was like 10 years ago. I don't even remember that. What do you mean? Why are you even talking about that? You know, we all forget that where... A lot of the white collar jobs in this country, you know, office work, business, HR, sales, accounting, whatever. All those people got to work from home in the safety of their, you know, their patio, their living room, their bedroom, whatever. They were never at risk when this shit was tearing through meatpacking companies, warehouses. They were never at any risk. They all went home. And sure, some of them got laid off. That sucks. Some of them had to go deal with other issues too. But at the end of the day, their fucking body wasn't on the line at work to put some food on the table. You know, everybody wants to bitch and complain about unemployment benefits right now being a problem. But let's also not forget that the way that our system is devised is so fucking draconian that you had all these people that worked in those industries I was just explaining, meatpacking, warehousing, all kinds of stuff like that, where you're shoulder to shoulder with other people, constant repeti repetition of movement, uh, all the while anxious, worried, not knowing what's going on, watching the you know death count of people, rise go up and up, your grandma died, some guy you know you went to school with died, all that happening, and... They didn't get any opportunity to leave their job if they were afraid. They had no opportunity. You, you can't quit and get unemployment. They were forced into keeping those jobs. The job market was collapsing around them. No one cared about what the job market looked like back then for people to want to transition away from that stuff. Instead, what did we do? We gassed them up and called them heroes and essential workers. All this Orwellian shit that we do with language, all for the sake of what? To just brainwash people, to just make them think that there's some, there, there's at the beating heart of America that like people actually care. People don't actually care about them because look right now, look at right now. Where's the demand for people that do that kind of work to actually get paid? I don't see it. $15 minimum wage roughly hovers around 55, 60% approval rating. I didn't see that getting pushed harder. It just, oh, Senate parliamentarian killed it. Oh, that's it. It's off the docket. I don't know. Maybe we can get to it in the fall. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, just not a priority. It's just never a priority. It, it's only a priority when it comes to 
the business side of things, you know, the supply side, oh, we're having these issues. Now we have to discuss what is wrong with these people? Why won't they go back to work? Never. What is wrong with the system? It's never a questioning of that. And especially after, again, all of these things that we're considering, all the anxiety around the uncertainty of what the hell was going to happen next week, whether your state was going to be next, whether your town was going to be next. And even if you weren't concerned about coronavirus, just the fact that your whole world, everything got shifted around you. People's whole perception on this country got changed. I made this argument a ton last year, right? So we had the murder of George Floyd. Um, and then you had that mass wildcat protest breakout all across the country, all across the country. I made this argument over and over again. And I feel, I feel very, uh, 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 validized right now with what, what we're talking about right now with the job market. I made this argument after the George Floyd protests. You know, I went, I helped organize some, I was at some. Um, I made the argument that the reason we're seeing this Kareen out of control, police stations being set on fire, just general unrest, uh, because, you know, the big question was people were asking, well, why is this happening in places like, you know, people got why it happened in Minneapolis. You know what I mean? That's where he was murdered. Um, why is this spreading everywhere? And my working theory was a very simple one, a very basic one, which was the political instability that existed before Trump, let's not get it twisted, it existed before Trump, the entire right wing of our political spectrum was completely disenchanted with regular politics. Half, at least 30% of the Democratic Party was too, before Trump. Um, then Trump came in, stirred the pot up, agitated, more and more people became disenchanted, more and more people. You had Bernie come in, the left got disenchanted when they, you know, the way that we perceived that he was shafted. That's inarguable. He was shafted. Sure, he lost. Okay. But again, what we're talking about here is more and more people being turned off to what the normal status quo is. And that's really the difference between what we talk about now in the modern context of how politics is perceived, how our institutions are trusted or not, Things have leveled, things have dipped so heavily and just like comparing to like, you know, 50 years ago. Um, But yeah, my, like I said, I'm getting a way off tangent here, but my theory around all that with the George Floyd protests and how just they'll spread like wildfire was simple. It was it, people, people were disillusioned. They watched that first police station burned and realized, holy shit, no one's actually in control. All this power we vest in these politicians we vote for, even for people who don't vote, they still they still perceive them as being in charge, right? You know what I mean? Like, even if you didn't vote for that person, don't know what they're about or didn't vote against them, whatever, those are still our leaders. And when we watched this pandemic wildly careen out of control in our country, followed up by all this civil unrest and it all mixed in, everyone was kind of looking for, you know, an easy answer. And, and for the establishment, certainly a convenient answer. You know, you can hear Don Lemon still say it every night, you know, when he refers to it. He, he, he thinks that him and, you know, this is actually, this is the general thinking. I'm just using him as an example because I hear him say it all the time, you know. People think that the severity of those protests was purely due to outrage against policing in America. And I disagree with that. The reason I disagree with that is what I just said before. Everyone realized, holy shit, no one's in control, right? And then added on to that realization was, you know, a ton of people who were just had no work. You know, the job market was obliterated. A ton of people were on unemployment. And right around that time was when the $600 payments were going. Um, people were making more money, a huge chunk of the country was making more money than they'd ever had in their life weekly, right? So what you have to remember, guys, is again, I keep going back to this psychological uh, component of it, these intangibles, these things that you can't smell, touch, hear, taste, and you certainly can't measure with any economic formula, where people remember what that loss of control felt like, and people remember how freeing it was. Losing their job and <laughs> having a little extra money to actually, you know, no one could really do anything, but not feeling worried about that. That that normal worry around money got briefly replaced by, you know, 
political concerns and concerns larger than themselves outside of themselves, which I don't think that people consider that too much because typically the folks who are at the lowest rung of our economic system that we have, they are working two jobs. They don't have great benefits. They have all of these things in their lives that take more time to do. They have less time to do and sit around and think about these kinds of things because we make being poor more difficult in this country intentionally. You know, you're, you're poor, you pay a higher credit rate. You're poor, you got to fill out more shit to, to see if you can qualify. All this stuff. There's a million ways that we do this, okay? And that got lifted off a ton of people. Not even just poor people. Lower middle class, middle class people, whatever. People just had time, okay? Some people use that time to spend an inordinate amount. I would argue too much time with their family. <laughs> um, you know, people use it all types of ways. Some people went in the streets. But what I'm saying is, that isn't something that is easily ungrafted from the mind after it went on for so long, okay? And that's regardless of whether you're talking about people who were unemployed then, unemployed back then and are employed now. That still, again, it doesn't change. Some people are able to have that cognitive dissonance and just, okay, I'm just going to go back to normal because it's comfortable for them and there's nothing wrong with that. This isn't me saying, telling people, like, oh, don't go back to work. No, do whatever you want to do. Again, the analysis here. It's interesting how... We never talk about these things. It's kind of like, uh, it reminds me of the, like you guys ever seen Sopranos where like, you know, Tony Soprano, like he doesn't want to talk to anyone in his family that he's in therapy. It's very similar. We do that on a macro scale too in America, where again, we're talking about jobs and you know, the job market and the economy. And we only want to talk about it in terms of these numbers, but we don't want to talk about these mass events and the imprintations they leave on the American psyche at large right? We observed 9-11 that way. You know what I mean? You could look at the effect, the fear that it caused, uh, the, the Islamophobia that came out of it, um, the violence, uh, you know, the, 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 the unifying moment that a lot of Americans felt around that. You know what I mean? Through shared pain. We had that briefly during the pandemic, but in natural American fashion, we found a way to politicize it and make it about sides you know and i don't blame people for that on a, on a micro level because our entire political system depends on the fact that any issue that comes up there needs to be two diametrically opposed solutions or or just complete disagreements that the issue exists in the first place our political system's built upon that but when you talk about what happened last year and rolling into this next one and none of these fucking eggheads who analyze these things, like they talk about humans and work as if we're robots. You know what I mean? As if, you know, uh, uh, you know, for example, like household wealth went up a ton. I can't remember the percentage, but just the simple fact that, hey, you know what? Maybe someone in their family doesn't have to work right now. And everyone's losing their fucking minds like the trains aren't running. The trains are, the trains are running. The shit you need, there's food in the store. There's toilet paper to wipe your ass. You can drive to work. The, the road's maintained. There's cops still. Everyone's losing their fucking mind because like a Chipotle in Austin is closed or something. Who gives a fuck? Who cares? Who gives a fuck? Is that your money? Is that your pocket? What do you care so much for? I honestly don't understand it because we can we we cannot leave behind this notion that all worth needs to be measured economically. Our country's worth, the success coming out of this pandemic doesn't need to be measured by the April fucking jobs report. Everyone's losing their mind. Inflation's not going up. GDP's still fine and on track. The housing market, how houses are being built now at a faster rate than in a long fucking time. So, yeah, we're having some supply shortages and stuff like that. But but it's like, what, what is all this panic? Just understand this, folks. None of this panic ever comes into play. When, again, you see that Walmart almost had a million folks on food stamps working at their company. None of this panic ever comes into play. 
when there's lines miles long in Texas of people getting food thrown in their trunk. Now, because now that's just normal. There is no more panic around that. But when some asshole who owns a restaurant who had 25 employees pre-pandemic now only has 10 and feels like he needs to shut his fucking doors down, we don't want to consider any of the other factors. That's another part that disgusts me about this just insanely rapaciously capitalistic viewpoint that we put on all these things. We're not going to take anything else into consideration, like the fact that the housing market and its continuous uh, speculative drive upward, onward, onward. What, does that guy own his building? Are his taxes going up? What's his commercial lease like after the uh, pandemic? We don't want to talk about any of the other costs. The fact that, um, you know, the supply side for supply chains around the world still struggling to catch up. And demand is so high and that's raising prices. No one wants to talk about that. Whenever a business owner has an issue with turning profit, the capitalists will immediately always turn to, well, how can I resolve this out of labor? There's Because they, they, they immediately assume there's nothing I can do about raw materials. There's nothing I can do about, well, I'm here already. My, my, my lease costs too much. And sure, from his perspective, there probably isn't anything he can do from that about that. But when we analyze this from a political lens and we consider our vulnerabilities in our economy around employment, and the labor demand and supply in this country. You can't not consider all these other factors and only want to look at labor because at the end of the day, the labor should be the unpredictable thing. It should be the unpredictable thing because if we truly do live in a, uh, you know, a free market economy, like all these fucking right-wingers love to tell you, whenever anything involving an economic topic comes up, where does the human choice come in? No one ever wants to consider that. Maybe people don't want to do these shitty jobs where they're getting dunked on by their bosses, by the customers. Maybe they don't want to do it. Have you ever fucking cooked burgers recently at a fast food restaurant? Have you ever worked in service work? You get treated like shit. So after years and years and years and years and years, of people working in these industries. And mind you, they're not fucking kids. That stupid ass argument where people are like, oh, fast food jobs are meant for teenagers. Not real life, folks. Neither is Walmart. Those are uh, fucking Gen Xers working those jobs overwhelmingly. Whether you want to fucking believe it or not, that is the truth. Okay? People like 37 and older are the majority of those job holders. And they're still getting paid like shit. No one wants to consider these things. They just, everyone wants it to just, all these people in the discourse that want to spit out these right-wing talking points want to just leave it at, you know, oh, well, this is where it's comfortable in my mind and how it used to be. No one wants to open their eyes and see shit for what it is now. And the fact that now that people had, again, like I said, that that pandemic, the that George Floyd, you know, that, that awakening to seeing things differently, the... The, the hamster wheel stopped spinning so furiously where you were just chasing a paycheck every week, nonstop, not taking vacations, barely having sick time, feeling like shit all the time because you can't get ahead. You know, prior to the pandemic, 50% of Americans couldn't afford a $500 emergency. And I think that there's a ton of people in America that either A, can't relate with that or B, lie to themselves that they're not close to that situation. Because everybody always wants to feel like that person who's at risk or, or what? oh, that's not me. Oh, I'm better than that. But we don't want to consider these things. And this is a huge problem that we have where everything is on an atomized level when people consider these issues. Everyone wants to view it through their lens of their personal experience in life. And at the end of the day, especially when we're talking about like macroeconomics, your anecdotal story doesn't mean shit. The, you know, Bob, you know, that fucking runs the lows down the road saying he can't hire people. Okay. That doesn't mean anything in the large scheme of things. What we're talking about $300 boosts to unemployment benefits. Humans are going to look for 
what the best opportunity is for them to get ahead in this system that we've created. This is just people bitching and complaining that the workers at the bottom rung of this economy actually have time to take a fucking breath and consider what their best next move is. They're all upset about that. Deal with it. Stop crying. And consider why we have a system that even necessitated unemployment benefits in the first place. Because you know what Europe did? Europe just paid people to stay home. Many of the countries. They just paid people to stay home. There was no firing. Their unemployment, their, their employment systems already set up that way, where you automatically get unemployment benefits if you lose your job. And, and by it being set up that way, what happened was when, when whole companies shut down, whole industries shut down, people just immediately, they were just like, okay, yeah, just don't fire anyone. We'll just pay them. And then everything continued on seamlessly for the most part. But, you know, big smart America, we got to do it our way over here. We go through these wild swings in job gains and losses. Whole industry shrinking and expanding with extreme volatility over quarter by quarter. And then everyone wants to complain about the normal, regular, everyday Joe guy as if he's fucking it up. It's just childish. A childish view on the world. A childish view. And when I say this, I mean for individuals, people who subscribe to this shit. Because I'll tell you right now, the folks at the Wall Street Journal, the folks at the New York Times, the people, the head economists that run these think tanks and shit around the country, they're not being childish. They're following through with the propaganda of what their ideological system calls for. They're telling you that this is why, you know, all those stupid talking points I just named earlier, they're telling you that all those stock talking points are the only reason why. There is no way to consider that, hey, maybe it's a good thing that labor isn't immediately coming back and heeding the call for work that capitalists are crying out for to be filled while they're waiting for better terms, maybe. Or just looking around. Like, again, this isn't like, we don't have any, like, class solidarity in this country right now. It's not like there's, like, some fucking communist block or, uh, you know, like, the DSA is, like, connected to every, like, fast food worker, retail worker all around the country and telling them, like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't take that job. Just wait. That's not happening. But everyone's trying to, like, talk about it on that level. They're, they are not considering that there is some larger phenomena at play that is causing these trends over time. Just the level of people who just completely dropped out of the workforce. That's another thing we didn't even talk about. There's a ton of people who are still scared about this shit. Michigan was just on fire. There's a bunch of kids that got coronavirus now. All these, all these human psychological factors. But again, none of this comes into play when we go over the economic analysis of these things, especially in those legacy newspapers I was just talking about, all these institutions, because at the end of the day, they talk about labor like it's just another number in an equation. Humans are just robots. They're just supposed to do because they need. And if they don't come do what the market demands, then you need to change the market conditions. In their opinion, you need to negatively change their lives to force them into what we want them to do. You know, I didn't really have that big of a disagreement last year. I don't even remember who it was. Uh, there was some Republican in, that, in the Senate who said that he wanted to pass a, uh, he had a bill that he wanted to pass through the Senate which would give, I think it was like a two or $300 uh, boost to people who were on payroll. You know, just like, hey, here's an extra 100 or 200 bucks for working. He foresaw this issue from in, in their terms. He foresaw this issue. And sure, if that got passed, sure, we wouldn't be looking at these same numbers right now. And honestly, I have no problem with that. I, I have no issue with that. But the thing is, that guy, that guy who put that forward, he's not ideological with this shit. He's just looking to make a solution. The people who control a lot of this stuff are ideological about it. The Chamber of Commerce, the Fed, they're all going to lobby against this shit because they understand, well, if we just start giving people $200 extra like to work, that's what's going to be next. They understood that. So that never happened. The $600 boost to unemployment last year, everybody, they had no choice. The entire market, the, the, the entire economy was going to suffer immeasurably if that money didn't get injected and 
Luckily, we had some people that were actually smart enough in the Trump administration when that happened who understood you could not do the top-down approach of just bailing out banks or whoever else in the industry. They did both. They bailed out the people and industry. Thank God they weren't fucking stupid enough to not do both. And we all saw the studies, the level that the velocity of money reached in local economies, for the most part, kept everyone decently above water. Even all the moaning you heard about landlords losing money and blah, 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 all that. You look at the numbers for the last year. They actually came out decent. The overall um, profit margins for landlords in the country uh, was insignificant statistically. Even after all that crying you heard. Who knows how it's going to turn out once the eviction moratorium ends? I don't know. We can revisit. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I know I just ranted and raved a little bit. I just wanted to give you guys some stuff about what I was thinking about with this, uh, you know, this labor shortage topic because, you know, it it, it really uh, it gets under my skin because this is arguably the most important kind of thinking that the left, whether that be Democrats at large or, you know, socialists, democratic socialists, whoever, these are the kinds of things that we need to be thinking about when we're talking about like, you know, macroeconomic policy, um, whether that be in relation to unemployment, labor shortages, whatever, just in general, these are the kinds of things that people need to spend time ruminating on especially when you're talking about just discourse with your neighbors, your coworkers, whoever, where we need to have some sort of a mind shift collectively in America, working class people around these kinds of things, because we can't continue to view these issues all through the lens of the folks at the Wall Street Journal, because that's not real life. That's not in your best interest. It's not in mine. It's not in anyone who makes an hourly wages interest. Even, you know, low salary people, whatever. I don't just mean an hourly wage, but just in general. It's not in anyone's interest to constantly view these things through this prism where it's like the economy is just a machine that if we don't shove enough bodies into it and it's not running optimally, like there's some huge problem at hand. That's just not the case. It's just not the case. It's all this alarming talk for nothing. You want to know why? Because... If that unemployment rate still stays high and you have some of these industries suffer, you know, remember to think about it. We were talking about, there were a ton of people. It wasn't just me. I mean, I was a strong proponent of it, but there were a ton of people in media talking about, oh, hey, maybe the movie theater industry should just die, you know? And I know that some people have strong feelings about that, but yeah, whatever. They've been, a big reason why a lot of people didn't care is because they've been fucking hosing people. You're, you're paying like, it's like $30 to go see a movie now. Like with a drink and popcorn. So of course everyone's going to be like, yeah, fuck that. I don't care. Okay. So that's how workers feel about a lot of these industries we're talking about. Like, yeah, fuck that. I don't care. I'm going to go find some other job somewhere else. That's how it works. We're all, we're human. People still are going to have a choice to make. And just because they have more time to make that choice doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't make it wrong. No one owes the economy or this country anything. No one owes them shit. But you want to know why I say that? We, I would argue in the in the inverse that sure, we, we should owe our country something, but our country, the people who've been running it for decades now, the people who consist of our Congress, the people who are at the, have their hands on the lever of power, don't give a fuck. So why should anyone else? You know, that's the amazing thing to me. You got people like Kirsten Cinema going up and like curtsying and thumbsing down a $15 minimum wage, just spitting in people's faces. Why would anyone give a shit about these large scale things at play that largely don't affect their lives? Like what's the worst case scenario, right? Like what? A guy's going to pay like, uh, just a regular guy. I'm saying like someone doesn't own a business. What are you, you going to spend an extra $20 on lumber? You were going to build something with this summer. What is your fucking gallon of milk going to go up 40 cents? Not really that big of a deal. Sorry. It's just not. Because at the end of the day, the Fed in this country already proved they will turn on the money hose to annihilate any issue that comes along, that rears its head, that's actually going to be threatening to the markets. We're probably not going to see an 08 level crash again. Because if it didn't happen from this pandemic and the Fed turned that money hose on, 
and started soaking corporations in free debt, negative interest rates, PPP loans, all this shit. Those times are behind us. That's never going to happen again. The only way there's going to be any significant market crash ever again is probably going to come from commercial real estate. Uh, you know, there was a ton of theorizing about that. I think it makes perfect sense. Um, but again, will it cause an actual entire market crash? Who knows? Because the Fed's proved they'll turn that money hose on real quick. They'll make that money counter go burr real fast. So I don't know. I'm just ranting and raving, folks. I got something for you. Uh, just wanted to get something out to, you know, give some content. Um, I think we'll be back on this weekend. I'm not 100% sure, but I will check back in later in the week to confirm. But until then, uh, I hope everybody had a great Mother's Day. Um, happy Monday. The NFL season has started. Trey Lance, Trey Way, number three, Niner Gang Gang. Uh, all right. Thanks for tuning in. Peace.